0: Uh, this semester is all about relationships in our U.F. Uh, we said last week, as we kicked off the series, uh, that the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. The quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships, our relationship with God, uh, with others, uh, with um, ourself uh, and with the world. Now all of these uh, relationships are vital to our existence. But all of these relationships have also been broken by sin. You can say that they've been fractured by our fall. You know that this is true. uh, That the relationships in your life can be a source of great blessing, uh, but they also can be a source of just tremendous pain. Uh, And this is why Jesus has come. Uh, He has come to make all things broken uh, whole again, uh, to make them right again. Uh, Jesus has come to give us life abundant. Uh, And one of the ways, the chief way that he does that... Uh, is through reconciling these broken relationships with God, with ourself, uh, with others in the world. Tonight, I simply want to focus on the first of those relationships in that list, uh, our relationship with God. Asking this question, how do you know that you've had a true encounter with God? How do you know that you have a real relationship with the real God uh, of the Bible? Uh, The passage that we're going to look at tonight is going to show us a few things. Um, You know that you have a real relationship with God uh, when you have uh, been rocked by His glory, uh, when you've been humbled by His holiness, and when you've experienced amazing, sort of life-renewing grace. You know you have a real relationship with the real God when you've been rocked by His glory, you've been humbled by His holiness, and you've tasted, experienced uh, amazing grace. Uh, tonight's passage is going to come to us from uh, a book called Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet who lived some 800 years before uh, the birth of Jesus. This is a guy who grew up going to church. Uh, he grew up sort of believing in God, knowing about God. But something happens to him at church one day where he makes his leap from knowing about God to actually knowing God. And those two things aren't the same. You can know some things about me, for example, by looking at my Facebook page or looking through my Instagram feed. But just by looking at my Instagram feed, knowing some things about me through it doesn't mean that you actually know me, right? That requires something different, communication, real sort of connection. Isaiah goes from someone who knows a lot of things about God to actually knowing God on this day in the year that King Uzziah dies. It's a passage that comes to us from Isaiah 6. We're going to look at verses 1 to 8. You can follow along uh, up on the screen. Uh, We also have Bibles on the table over there for you to take. They're our gift to you. There's also countless Bible apps that you can get for free. and just have your Bible on you at all times, as long as you're carrying your phone. So however you want to follow along, this is Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Just as an aside, you hear that us again, right? Then I said, here I am, send me. This is God's word to us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for bringing us together uh, again on a Wednesday night to hear from your word, to hear from you. I pray, Lord, you would give us the senses to know your presence with us. uh, That we, we really would encounter you here in this time together. That we would not leave this room unchanged. Show us your glory. Show us your holiness. Show us Jesus in all of his goodness and grace. I pray in his name. Uh, Amen. The big question that I want to ask, hopefully answer tonight, is how do you know you've had a true encounter with the living God? How do you know you have a real relationship with the real God? The first thing that I want you to see uh, is that you know you have a real relationship with the real God. When his glory has kind of rocked you, or when it has shaken things up, maybe shaken you awake. Let's look at these first four verses again uh, from our passage. we will just throw them up here on the, on the screen. Right, verse 1 begins with Isaiah going to the temple. It's not unlike you or I going to church on Sunday. But something happens to him on this particular day. Uh, something unlike uh, anything he's really ever experienced before. A couple of years ago, um, I got a hilarious email from another RUF campus minister named John Craft, who uh, ministers out in Tennessee. He woke up one day in July of 2016 to hundreds of people in his front yard with their cell phones out, doing things he had no idea what they were doing. If you work back your, the clock, you realize it's right around this time that Pokemon Go came out. And John Kraft realized to his surprise that his house was a Pokemon gym. And hundreds of people were now in his front yard chasing Pokemons, training Pokemons. I don't know. What, what is it that you do at a Pokemon gym? That's what they were doing. Police actually had to come and like, manage traffic in front of John Kraft's house. And I just thought this was hilarious. And he did too. And I love this idea about Pokemons because it's this idea that there are things that there are invisible realities, right? Of course, it's a kid's game. Pokemon aren't real, right? In the same way that I'm going to talk about God. But I just love the, the idea, right? That there are invisible realities out there. And if we just had eyes to see it, right, we could catch a glimpse of something really, really special. Like this hundred on John Craft's front yard. Something like that happens to Isaiah in the temple that day. He goes to the temple, he goes to church, and for him the veil gets pulled back. And what he sees is the Lord sitting upon a throne. He's high and he's lifted up. The sanctuary space, which had always felt sort of large and expansive, all of a sudden feels really cramped. Small the tail end of God's robe starts folding in on itself and overwhelming the room. There's an earthquaking sound at his voice and the place starts to fill with smoke as if a pipe bomb went off. And there's angels swirling around singing in this beautiful voice, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The last word in that psalm, right the word glory is the hebrew word kabod which literally translates into weight or weightiness to say that something or someone has glory is or to call it glorious is to say it he she is weighty it has permanence has significance right we communicate the same when we say that something matters Right? Matter is physical. It's substantive. It's weighty. And to say that something matters or to say that something matters is to say that he, she, or it is really important. is really significant. It has gravity. Well, in the temple that day, this is what Isaiah encounters. He encounters the weightiness, right? the significance, the gravity of God. Now, before this moment, Isaiah believed in the existence of God, which is to say he believed in the idea of God. But on this day, in the year that King Uzziah died, something happened to him that changed the way that he saw God and the ways that he saw himself. From this moment on, God ceased to be a concept. From this moment on, God was a concrete reality in Isaiah's life say, well, what happened? So it shows us here, he encountered the glory of God. But when the glory of God entered into Isaiah's life, it didn't just shake the earth, it shook up his life. Life would never be the same again for him. Isaiah could no longer relate to God merely as a concept. He had seen God uh, in this moment on throne, high and lifted up in glory. As someone who's great, and he himself is someone who's small. From this moment on, the question would not be just like, how do I get God into my life? The question would be, how do I get my life into his? Not how do I squeeze God into my agenda, but how do I fit into his agenda? I remember, um, you could call it my uh, Isaiah 6 moment. Um, The first time that I really encountered uh, the glory of God. It was in 2004. I was 22, uh, and I had just graduated college. Uh, And I was backpacking in the Himalayas. Uh, I was trekking to Mount Everest. And I woke up one night, and uh, I really had to go to the bathroom, so I crawled out of my tent, went to some rocks uh, far from the tent. And when um, my eyes finally adjusted to the dark, I looked up, and I saw stars like I had never seen them before. It's a good thing that I'd actually finished going to the bathroom, otherwise I would have wet myself because it knocked me over. Like I was literally starstruck. The stars knocked me to my feet. Um, you might say, well, that's no surprise. You grew up in the suburbs of D.C. There's all kinds of light pollution, of course, right? You saw some stars, it knocks you over. What's the big deal? But that's not true, right? I'd gone camping many, many times uh, as a kid. I'd Spent weeks on end in the Canadian wilderness, far from civilization. I mean, I'd seen the Milky Way before, but I'd never seen stars like this. This was something quite different. This was my Isaiah 6 moment. It was the moment that I realized that if there was a God, He was the God who created this night nice sky. Right? Any talk about God would be meaningless, If we weren't talking, like, if to talk about God would be meaningless if we're not talking about the one who created the heavens and the earth, right, the artist of the sky that I was looking upon. That's who God is. If there is a God, he made that, right? And again, no longer, I had to give up the illusion of this idea that if, that I could somehow let God into my life. If God is the one who created the heavens, the sky that I was looking at, the only way that I could relate to him was by me sort of sort of fitting into his schedule, not trying to get him into mine. Does that make sense? Right. Our planet revolves around the sun. I was looking at a bunch of suns and considering the one who made them all. It's not how does he revolve around me. It's like how would I, what would it mean for me in my life to start to begin to revolve around his? It was that moment where I began to see that God was really big and I was kind of small. I was sort of... I hadn't yet been converted, but I was really encountering a God of glory. Kind of pulled back the veil for a moment. and kind of knocked me to my feet. That kind of did. I think this is the first indication that you are entering into a real relationship with the real God. You've encountered, you've, you've sensed his, his weightiness, his significance, his gravity. The realization that God is great is starting to shake things up for you. If an elephant walked through this door right over here, you would notice. And if he started to move towards you, you would have to make some adjustments. Maybe you would move some seats out of the way. Maybe you would actually move your body. Friends, we're talking about a God who's much bigger than an elephant. He's not just wanting to move into the room, but it actually wants to move into your life. is smaller than this room. Move into your mind, we could say, move into your heart. God moving in and moving towards you is going to create, right, some life quakes. It's going to shake some things up. And I think the question you ought to ask is, has that happened or is that happening? Right? Is he beginning to move you in some ways? Maybe he's moving you in new directions that you weren't thinking that you would move in. Starting to even shift some long-held beliefs. This is what happens, right, when you encounter a God of glory who's bigger than you. He forces this kind of movement. Now, some of you might say, I don't like to think about God like this, or I don't like to think about God like that. It's maybe being sovereign or in control. I like to think of him how I like to think of him. Or maybe you'll say, look, I know what the Bible has to say about drugs. I know what the Bible has to say uh, about alcohol. I know God's opinion on sex, marriage, and the likes but i don't think it's all that important. right? i don't think it's all that big a deal. like if and when you say that, what you are really communicating is that you've not yet encountered the glory of God. You're relating to a god of your imagination. a god who's much smaller than you, who you can kind of push around, who's not going to push back. Not the god of the bible not the God of the heavens, not the one who's high and lifted up, who's weightier than an elephant, who's more significant than you. You know you have a real relationship with the real God or that you're beginning to have a real relationship with the real God when you've encountered his glory. When you see him finally as bigger than you, is greater than you, is weightier than you. And that reality, like waking up to that reality, is beginning to shake some things up in your life. You can call them life quakes. It's beginning to shift the ways that you think. It's beginning to shift uh, the ways that you are in this world and act in this world. Secondly, okay, you know that you have a, a real relationship with the real God or beginning to have a real relationship with the real God when you've been humbled by his holiness. I don't know if any of you have ever seen um, videos of big wave surfing. Uh, you can go on YouTube, just type in big wave surfing. It's amazing and crazy. It's surfers riding, some of these waves are 70 feet, 80 feet high. Um, uh, When I read Isaiah 6, um, it reminds me uh, of big wave surfing. Um, I have this sort of vision at the beginning of this chapter uh, of Isaiah as this little surfer sort of bobbing on this big ocean, kind of just sort of like this dot on this landscape. Little Isaiah is about to go on this gigantic wave. There's a lot of adrenaline that's packed into these first four verses, right? There's angels and smoke. The earth is kind of moving underneath him, not unlike a wave. I hear almost like Keanu Reeves saying like, whoa, right? As uh, we read these first four voices, uh, first four verses. Uh, but then a wave of adrenaline uh, meets this wave of fear. That woe whoa, uh, verses one to four, goes, gives way to sort of woe is me uh, in verse five. As this surfer, Isaiah, begins to realize that he's on this huge, powerful, very threatening, in some ways, wave that has the power to, in some ways, engulf and consume him. Look at our passage again, beginning with verse 2. It says, Above him stood the seraphim. These are angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's what happens uh, to Isaiah. Isaiah. Okay, he goes to the temple, he goes to church one day, and then he discovers that not only is God real, right? he's fantastic. He's far greater than you or I could imagine. A God who's three times holy. In Hebrew, if we are Hebrew speakers, if you wanted to emphasize something, you would do that by repeating it. Uh, Isaiah might walk out of the Interfaith Center and see that hole that they dug up in front of Harris Millis and call that a pit. And then if he goes to the Grand Canyon on vacation, he'd stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. and He would call that a pit pit, right? It's just a bigger hole. (laughs) But there's no word uh, in the Bible that gets repeated three times. There's no pit, 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 right? It stops at two. There's only one word in the Bible that gets repeated three times, and it's this one. Holy, and it's in reference to God. God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. God is so glorious. He is so magnificent. So, so great. right? So beyond compare that he's just really in a league of his own. That's sort of what the angels are singing and celebrating. In order for them to be in their... In, 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 his perpetual presence. These creatures require six wings. So it says two to fly, but two to cover their face because it's so brilliant. And then two to cover their feet because they don't want to defile right, His presence. In just sort of the Hebrew imagination, the feet was the dirtiest part of, of the body. Walking through mud and slime every day. Cover those up, right? God is holy, holy, holy. It's pretty amazing. Right Again, woe, W-O-A-H. But that woe gives way to woe is me. This woe is me in verse five, it's not just a cry for help. It's a curse. In modern, in modern parlance, he's saying, I'm screwed. Right? This is game over for me. And here's why. Uh, when Isaiah sees God and all of his goodness, what he then sees too is himself as a mess. When Isaiah, when Isaiah sees the God and whose image that he has made, he then sees himself for who he really is, and he sees himself for what he is really like. And those two things don't add up. There's this gap. I think maybe for the first time in Isaiah's life, he sees himself, as the Bible describes him, as someone who is beautiful because he's made in the image of God, but someone who's also just woefully broken, painfully broken, because sin is, all has ravaged his life. That he is a sinner who falls short of the glory of God. I've used this illustration before, but it's been a long time, so I don't mind repeating it. Some of you know this because you've eaten with me. Uh, few, uh, maybe because we've actually gone to a movie together. But I'm a very messy eater. Um, it drives my wife crazy that I'm, I always forget to get napkins. Ketchup that ends up my, on my hands or grease inevitably makes its way onto my pants. Um, and this is especially so when we go to a movie where I always get the extra buttery popcorn and if I'm feeling good, we'll get some Reese's Pieces. Those will also melt in my hand because I hold on to them too long. I get big, you know, fistfuls of them and they melt. This is not a problem in the darkened movie theater, right? E- eating popcorn, it's kind of gross, even as I'm saying it, but like Reese's Pieces, so look, where's my napkin? Can't find it, doing this. In the darkened theater, it's not a big deal. I feel pretty good. As far as I can tell, I look pretty good. And uh, I am pretty good, right? But when I walk out of that darkened theater and I step into the well-lit lobby, it's at that moment that I have this woe-is-me sort of crisis. It's like I'm a man of unclean pants and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean pants, right? <laughs> For my eyes have seen the condition that I'm in. Right? It's not good. Isaiah has a similar experience. He steps into the brilliance of God's light. Uh, a light so brilliant that angels have to shield themselves. Right? And it's in the light of God's goodness, in the light of his holiness, that he looks at himself and he's like, this is not good for me. This is not good. I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people uh, of unclean lips. It's very easy for us to get a sense of self uh, and a sense of self worth by looking to our left and to our right and comparing ourselves uh, with other people. We often do this, right? We'll scan our social networks and we rank ourselves like horizontally, like how am I doing in comparison to one another? Uh, this often takes place most on social media, things like Facebook or Instagram. But it can happen anywhere. It can happen in this room. As Isaiah scanned the crowd, he had tons of reasons to think that he was winning. He had every good reason to think that he was on top. Jewish tradition tells us that Isaiah was from a royal family, that his father was brother to the king. We know that he was rich and that he was well-educated. He was running with the cultural elites of his day. What's more, we know that Isaiah was an artistic and an intellectual genius. I just want you to think about this for a minute. If 3,000 years from now, college students are reading what you wrote and talking about it on a Wednesday night and how it's significant, I'd say you've made it. Right? Isaiah made it. We're talking about him In 2019. It gets better than that. Isaiah was a prophet, which is to say he was a master communicator. He spoke for a living, and he did this in an oral culture that prized right, its master communicators, that lifted them up on a pedestal and said, this is the best. He's kind of like an 8th century Donald Glover, childish Gambino. you know who I'm talking about? Of course you do. Right, this guy is an actor, he's a comedian, he's a singer, he's a writer, he's a director, he's a rapper, he's a songwriter, he's a DJ, he's a fashion guru. The guy is winning, right? He's in a league of his own. But when Isaiah, right, our 8th century Donald Glover, right, encounters the triune God and all of his glory, when he encounters this three times holy God, he realizes I'm a chump. Like I'm nothing compared to this guy. I'm nothing compared to this guy. And being in the presence of this truly great one, like his whole life he thought he was the best, and then he realizes you know, there's, there's a whole different category of good. There's a whole different category of brilliance and beauty. He encounters that, and it makes him feel really small. It humbles him. It humbles him to the core. And here's what's really interesting from this passage. Isaiah mentions that it's his lips that are unclean. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. But friends, his lips were the best part of him. His lips, that's where his talent lies. I mean, that was his gifting. That's the thing that made Isaiah, Isaiah. It'd be like Sean White being like, "I'm I'm a crappy snowboarder. He's the best. But in God's light, it's like, I'm the worst. I'm a man of unclean lips. What Isaiah realizes is that even the good stuff about him is flawed, that it falls short. It's not just the bad stuff that he's trying to hide. It's not just the ugly things that you and I try to hide. The secret, shameful stuff that we're trying to mask from everybody else. Even the good stuff Isaiah sees, he hasn't used well. Even that has been used selfishly, right? To advance himself, to put other people down, to promote himself, right? He hasn't used it. Truly to love God or to love others, to love this world. Like, he's a man of unclean lips. Here's the point. You have a real relationship with the real God when you realize in, his, in light of his holiness that you are glorious ruins. That you are made in the image of God. Which makes you glorious, but you are also a sinner, that you are unclean, that you are not well, that you need help, that you need rescue. Those who have had a true encounter with the real God come to this self-awareness. They see themselves in light of God's holiness, and they recognize that they are in need of rescue and that they cannot save themselves? Have you? Or are you still in the dark about yourself? Those who have truly encountered God, who have a real relationship with the real God, they've encountered His glory. It's shaken them up a little bit. It's starting to shake up categories, sort of shake up some long-held beliefs But they've also had a sense of his holiness, and they see how they fall short of his glory, how they were created in his image, and yet there's this gap between what he is and what we are, what we are supposed to be like, and what we are actually. And that gap makes them say, Woe is me, makes us say, Woe is me. That's not all. There's one more thing. Those who have a real relationship with the real God, they've not just been rocked, they've not just been humbled. They've also tasted and seen that God is good. They've also experienced amazing grace. Renewing grace. Look at our passage again, starting at verse 5. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, I'm lost, I'm screwed. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of these angels flew to me When Isaiah says, woe is me, he sees one of these angels pick up a tong and fly to an altar, which is where sacrifices take place. Sacrifices take place on an altar. The angel grabs fire from this burning sacrifice and he flies straight for Isaiah. You need to know that in the Old Testament, fire always represents the destructive judgment of God. And here comes this angel with fire in his hands, and he's making a beeline straight for Isaiah. You know what he's thinking. That's it. <laughs> it's over. Right? I'm screwed. I see that God is good. I see that I'm not. And this angel is coming. To consume me with this fiery judgment of God, the angel comes to Isaiah, puts the coal to Isaiah's mouth, and his face melts off. That's not what happens. <laughs> That's what you expect to happen. That's what Isaiah expects to happen. But his face doesn't melt off. <laughs> right? He's healed. I don't know how to illustrate the shock of that. I, was, I actually reached out to some friends today, also in RUF, um, and said, how do I get across the astonishment of this moment? The best thing that I heard, and I, I'm going to share with you because it kind of makes me laugh, is that moment in Toy Story. You know when Buzz and Woody find themselves in um, that bad kid's house? What's his name? Sid. 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 Yeah, Sid's house. And they're like, just praying that nobody sees him. They're like, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. And then those like zombie toys see him and they make this beeline for them. And they're like, this is it. They're going to tear us apart. But instead, what those zombie toys do is they put them back together again and they heal him. That's kind of like this, except it's (laughs) angels and not zombie (laughs) toys, right? (laughs) Isaiah is in this moment where he's like, Gosh, I really don't want to be here. This is not good for me. Oh, crap. They see me. They're coming for me. And he thinks he's about to be undone, but instead he's not. Right? He's completely reconstituted. He's renewed. He's rebuilt on the spot. It's not unlike that. It's astonishing. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Instead of destroying him, the fire cleanses him. You ask, how can that be? Why? The answering that question has a lot to do with where that coal came from. Okay, the coal came from the altar, the coal came from a burning sacrifice. A sacrifice had been made in God's presence. And it's on the basis of that sacrifice that Isaiah's guilt and sin can be taken away. It's on the same basis of that same sacrifice that your guilt and my guilt can be taken away and atoned for. When it touches your lips, when it touches your life, where you feel that you need it most, you can be made clean, you can be made whole again. Look, you all, some 800 years after the life of Isaiah, there's a man named Jesus who walked this earth. And when he did, he claimed to be God's own son who had come from heaven to give his life as a sacrifice, right? as a ransom for many, saying that it was going to be on the basis of his life and on his death that we could be made whole and right again, that our sins could be made that, That they could be forgiven. Jesus died on a cross, a sacrifice that the Bible says was for the sins of the world. See, Jesus took what our sins deserve so that we can get what we don't deserve. He was crushed so that we can be healed, He was forsaken so that we can be welcomed in God's presence. He died so that we can live. And when you receive the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf, your guilt is taken away too. And your sins are atoned for as well. See, Jesus has done everything. As I have said, and I will say again and again, He's done everything uh, to make a relationship with God possible. Your sin, your guilt, your shame, he has covered. He has taken it away. And he has done all of this so that we can enter into God's presence. We can encounter his glory. We can behold his holiness and not be undone by it. And not be escorted out of the room. Not be kicked out. Not be consumed by fiery judgment. But we can be said, it's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. Right. That ours would be a welcome of embrace. Jesus did this for Isaiah, he's done it for you too. He wants you to experience this as well. See, in verse 5, Isaiah thinks that his life is completely over. In verse 8, he's chomping at the bit and he's ready to go on mission for God. Here I am, send me. What's motivating that is not, oh my gosh, I've got to do something in order to get God to like me, in, in order for him to be kind to me. He's saying, here I am, send me, because he has been. He's tasted and he's seen the goodness of God, and he wants others to taste and see that as well. Have you encountered right, the glory of God? Has his weightiness, right, his significance, his gravity caused a lifequake? in your life have you quit trying to fit him into your agenda and are you rather trying to fit your life into his have you quit trying to get God to revolve around you and you have seen rather no my life makes the most sense in orbit around his has his holiness humbled you do you see yourself as a sinner in need of grace Finally, have you tasted of it? Do you know that Jesus has come for you, that He has given up his life for you as a sacrifice so that you can have a renewed relationship with God today and forever? Have you received this gift? Look, no matter who you are and no matter where you stand in your relationship with God tonight, I pray with my eyes open that God would do everything necessary for you to experience His glory, His holiness, and His grace. My desire for you is that tonight, tomorrow, the next day, all semester long, you would find yourself drawn into a a renewed relationship with the God who made you And who died to save you? Let's pray.